you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Can fooling around, goofing off, or playing inspire innovation? How can you use Monopoly to teach kids better math skills? And is there really a killer strategy for playing Monopoly? <laughs> Listen in for the playful answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. Today, we're just going to play around on the podcast. And we're going to start with a snippet from one of my favorite books. It's called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, and it's written by Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman. In the book, he writes, Then I had another thought. Physics disgusts me a little bit now, but I used to enjoy doing physics. Why did I enjoy it? I used to play with it. I used to do whatever I felt like doing. It didn't have to do with whether it was important for the development of nuclear physics, but whether it was interesting and amusing for me to play with. So I got this new attitude. I'm going to play with physics whenever I want to without worrying about any importance whatsoever. Within a week, I was in the cafeteria and some guy, fooling around, throws a plate in the air. As the plate went up in the air, I saw it wobble and I noticed the red medallion of Cornell on the plate going around. It was pretty obvious to me that the medallion went around faster than the wobbling. It was effortless. It was easy to play with these things and it was like uncorking a bottle. Everything flowed out effortlessly. I almost tried to resist it. There was no importance to what I was doing, but ultimately there was. The diagram and the whole business that I got the Nobel Prize for came from that piddling around with the wobbling plate. We often watch kids, or even adults, goofing off and we say, oh, they're just playing around. We treat playing around as if it is unimportant or useless. However, here in this passage is one of the most famous Nobel Prize winning physicists telling us that it was precisely the act of playing around that led him back to a love for physics and eventually to his Nobel Prize winning work, or should I say, Nobel Prize winning playing around. At Tabletop Inventing, we love to play around. We usually call it hard fun because we're actually learning and putting loads of effort into our play at the same time. Yet it is still play, it is fun, and it disarms students enough that they forget they are learning. Why don't you grab your smartphone or pull up a browser on your computer and go check out inventingzone.com to find out how to get your kids involved in some hard fun this summer. Today's guest knows quite a bit about play. He's a no-nonsense teacher in some respects because he works with middle schoolers. But on the other hand, he uses the game of Monopoly to teach kids to master their math facts and hone their negotiation skills. So my guest today is Tim Vandenberg. Uh, Tim is a sixth grade 
a teacher in California, and he uses Monopoly to teach math and interpersonal skills to his students. And his students are often prepared and able to defeat U.S. and international Monopoly champions in tournament play. He also has the award of being the second place in the U.S. Monopoly Championship in 2009, which happens about every five years. Uh, his students have excellent state test scores uh, through this experience of using Monopoly as a basis for thinking about math and interpersonal skills. And he's also the author and creator of something called Monopoly Academy. So Tim, tell me a little more about yourself. Okay, uh, like you said, Steve, I was second place at the 2009 U.S. Monopoly Championship, and I've chosen to use Monopoly as an educational tool in my sixth grade classroom, and my sixth graders love it. They're always begging, hey, when's our next Monopoly day? And I know that this is good for the kids because Monopoly is teaching them excellent math skills, excellent interpersonal skills, critical reasoning skills, creative thinking, problem solving, working together, collaboration, communication. Uh, a lot of educators have heard about the four C's and basically Monopoly teaches far more than people realize. When you first mention Monopoly as an educational tool, most people laugh, but if they actually studied the game, they would be absolutely blown away what Monopoly can teach. So tell us a little bit, I know that there are other places we could look this up and I've, I've seen some of your other presentations, but just give us a short overview of how did Monopoly come to be? How did Monopoly come to be? Yeah, and why, why is there so much math in it? Okay, well Monopoly was originally invented by a lady named Lizzie McGee in the early 1900s as an educational tool to teach the evils of capitalism to show that, hey, capitalism is evil. Only one person wins and three people lose. Well, it turned out that some of the best business schools in America caught on to this as an excellent educational tool to teach business, investment, financing, negotiation skills, and so forth. And they started using Monopoly in colleges, some of the best colleges, business colleges in the US. And the game spread around as a folk game for 30 years until this guy named Charles Darrow decided to essentially lie and say, hey, Parker Brothers, look what I invented. He put his own graphics on it, made it look cool, a lot prettier, a lot more consumer friendly. And basically, it sold like wildfire all across America. And now, 80 years later, this is the 80th anniversary of Monopoly this year. It's the most played game in the world, brand name game that you can buy that somebody owns the rights to. Monopoly is it. And there's good reason for it. So that's where Monopoly came from. How, how did you get into Monopoly, playing Monopoly, and using Monopoly in your classroom? How did that happen? Well, I was using other games like Yahtzee and Rubik's Cube, and you know, those are good one or two or three dimensional games that teach some things very well, like probability and Yahtzee, or three dimensional reasoning and following order of operations with Rubik's Cube. But Monopoly, I decided, well, let's try Monopoly. Monopoly ended up teaching far more than I could have ever realized. And so I started using the game in the class, first by following the rules. Most people think, oh, Monopoly, doesn't that game take 12 hours or 12 days or 12 weeks to finish? One time I was in line at buying a Monopoly game at Walmart, and the cashier said, oh, Monopoly, me and my boys, we love that game. We just finished a game, it took us three months 
<laughs> and that's really the classic tale of, oh, Monopoly takes forever. And that's because people don't play by the rules. Most people have actually never played Monopoly. I, I like to call it, they've played merry-go-roundopoly, where they go around the board forever and ever and ever. Nobody ever wins. Nobody ever goes bankrupt because they're not following the rules. And so eventually somebody usually flips the board over or throws a token at a loved one. <laughs> Feelings are hurt for a week, you know. For example, if people just play by one simple rule, there's no money in free parking. That is a myth in Monopoly that you receive cash for parking your car. When was the last time, Steve, somebody paid you cash, $500 or more, or gave you all your tax money back and everybody else's tax money, just because you're, you parked your car? Yeah, I want to play that game. Yeah, I want to play that game, too. I'm going to go park my car everywhere I go. No, free parking is just a safe spot. And so if you fix that one rule of Monopoly, games will go from 12 hours to 90 minutes. In fact, when I play with my students, we're usually done in about 40 minutes because we know the math, we play the game right. When it's time to talk trades, we stop and talk as long as we need, and then get back to playing Monopoly. Build our houses and destroy each other, bankrupting each other. It's, it's a lot of fun. But that way we have, in the same amount of time, 12 winners instead of one winner and a lot of frustrated hurt feelings. So. You have a student that several years ago kind of told you how serious all of this was becoming. Tell us a little bit about that story, about how that happened. So in 2008, I took a group of six sixth graders to a tournament, a charity tournament in Redlands, California. And I spent three months teaching these kids the math and strategy of the game, the interpersonal skills of Monopoly how to win negotiations in a win-win sort of way so everybody's happy, and basically how to play high-level Monopoly. But we didn't know that we were going to show up and have to play against some of the best players in the world. And there was U.S. finalists and champions, and even a world champion was there. And my kids were freaking out. But they knew what they were doing. They knew how to play. And after the first round, a sixth-grade girl ran up to me and said, Mr. Vandenberg, I just defeated the first ever Monopoly world champion. <laughs> she did well enough in that tournament to make it all the way to the final table and get second place, losing to one of the pros. But she beat a whole bunch of other pros in the process, so I was very proud of her. And so a few months later, we invited the reigning United States Monopoly champion to play against that girl and a couple other top-notch kids who got perfect scores on state math tests. So kids who I knew could play the game well, they practiced the game, and live on camera with documentary cameras rolling, district and county superintendents, several newspapers recording the action, that sixth grade girl also defeated the reigning United States Monopoly champion. Now, I'm not saying my kids are better than these adult pro players, but I am saying that given the right circumstances, they can hang with them and win more than their normal fair share of the time. Pretty much it's boiled down to if one of the pros loses to a kid in a tournament, it's because they lost to one of my students. They, <laughs> they never lose to little kids uh, other than my own students. And then a few months after that, I had one girl play against the reigning U.S. champion, the first ever world champion, and a U.S. finalist who got third place in 2003. She played against all three of them simultaneously in my classroom. This is about a year or two after that last one. I mentioned, and she defeated all three simultaneously of those pros <laughs> all at once. And the U.S. champion leaned over to me and said, that was the best junior player I have ever played against in Monopoly. 
Now, he wouldn't say that unless he really meant it, because he's that's the kind of guy he is. He's a nice guy, and he really praised her play. And the kids would not be this good unless they learned their math. If they understood things like probability, expected value, return on investment, and also financial literacy skills, like saving for a rainy day, managing your money, and interpersonal skills, like win-win negotiations, and problem resolution, and conflict resolution, and things like that. There's so much in Monopoly. I have a 12-page document listing the common core standards that Monopoly teaches just by playing the game, studying the game, learning what's going on in the game. So have you always enjoyed playing games? Like, how did games get into your classroom? I've always loved games, so that's why I started out trying like Monopoly and Rubik's Cube and things like that. I, I love games. I, I love a hard-fought loss. I love playing a game even if I lose, just playing well and doing my best. And I've always liked that, but Monopoly is the most played game in the world. Since 1935, they estimate that over one billion people have played Monopoly. Wow. That's what, one out of seven people on Earth? Now, that counts people who've lived, you know, no, some people aren't alive anymore from the last 80 years, but still, a lot of people have played Monopoly. Compare that to any video game, the hottest selling video game, comparatively speaking, is a flash in the pan compared to Monopoly. Monopoly's still going strong 80 years later. So I thought, hey, as a teacher, why do I keep using educational tools that are hot one year and like embarrassing to use the next year? Kids, they're always into the latest fad, right? Well, Monopoly's not a fad. Why not use something that they love, that they've played at home, almost every kid has played Monopoly at least once in their life. Why not use an educational tool that almost every kid can connect to and what kid does not want to learn how to go home and defeat, crush, destroy, with a <laughs> smile and, and love on their face, their family, right? And many times I've had parents come up to me and say, I'm never playing my child again. They're too good at Monopoly. And to me, that's a good problem because I've just created a mathematical, business, interpersonal skill champion. And that's going to stick with them through life. And they'll be champions throughout life, whatever they do. So we're kind of on a trip backwards in time here, so why don't we keep going? What was your educational experience comparing your coming to the school system and learning math? Compare that to, to your classroom in math. Okay, so when I was a kid growing up back in the 70s and 80s, forever ago, you know, it was math by the book. You do the problems. There's really no fun activities. You do the homework. You check your answers. You take the quiz. You take the test. I seriously don't remember any projects or fun math activities or creative endeavors using the skills that I've learned. That would be the word problems at the end of the lesson and who wants to assign those because then you have to teach them to the class and grade them. And I didn't know that growing up. I was just learning my math and I thought math was pretty boring. Just show my work and check my answers. And, and then I've always been pretty good at math, usually one of the best students in my class. And when I finally learned to, oh, I should show my work neatly, and check my answers, then my grades went for in sixth grade from a C to an A the rest of my educational life through junior high and high school. Um, I did graduate high school second in my class salutatorian, so I was a decent student. And I went to UCLA, which is one of the top 20 colleges in America. I learned calculus and multivariable calculus at UCLA, so I'm pretty capable at math. I'm not the typical elementary school teacher, typical, not all, but the average elementary school teacher, they're just good with high-level algebra and, you know, calculus is not usually their thing. It's wonderful to have many advanced-level math skill teachers at the elementary level, but usually they go to secondary or college and teach math. 
So it's unusual, usually, for elementary school students to have somebody who can see the bigger picture. Where is this math going? Why do they need to understand fraction decimal percent conversions? Why do they need to understand algebra? What's that going to do for them? Not just so they can pass middle school math. How's that going to help them with engineering or being a doctor or a chemist? I've seen the bigger picture. I've sat as a paid lecture note taker in all those kinds of classes at UCLA. I'm extremely exposed to all kinds of usage of math. That was one of my jobs in college was sitting in all these different science classes and taking notes for students, being paid to do that. So getting extra education on top of my regular bachelor's degree as a history major. I've seen where math can take you. And I see how awesome it can be. And I do understand that if you don't get middle school math, you just aren't going to be able to do much else in life that involves math. Well, I don't know if I've ever admitted this or not on our podcast. Uh -oh. I, I, <laughs> I actually have a minor in education. Long, long ago, I briefly cool. thought about teaching math in high school and didn't go into teaching because at the time I didn't have the confidence I needed to have good classroom management. Classroom <laughs> management takes about two years to learn. And I was so intimidated by the students that I felt like it was easier to go get a PhD <laughs> than to face those students in the classroom every day. <laughs> right. I do teach, in addition to teaching sixth graders, uh, once a week I teach a night class for teachers earning their teaching credential. I'm the end boss, the video game end boss. They got to get past me and then they graduate they're doing their student teaching while I have them. And the, the most important thing I emphasize to my student teachers at Redlands University in California is classroom management. If you cannot control your classroom, keep a positive environment with kids learning, with a smile on their face, without fists being thrown, happens very rarely, but if every few years, you know, anything can happen. But a well-managed classroom is the most important thing in teaching. And if you can't do that, you can't teach. So I wish I could have gotten, gotten a PhD, so I'm jealous of you, and I'd love to share with you some of those management skills. What I remember, though, was um, coming through and knowing quite a few of the elementary ed majors. I just remember thinking that there just weren't very many of them that were excited about math, and so I always get excited right. when I meet a math teacher in elementary or, and even yeah. high school that are just really on fire and excited about math, because I think math is so much fun. If you were a fly in the wall in the teacher assessment room where the teachers are tested on their knowledge of math, knowledge of language arts, knowledge of science, knowledge of history, PE, human development. In California, teachers have to test on all of those things over several tests over several days. If you were a fly in the wall, the one subject you would hear teachers gripe about at the elementary teacher level is math. They think, oh, it's so hard. I remember distinctly hearing teachers complain about, oh man, I got to learn algebra, but I want to be a kindergarten teacher. I understand that, but that's what we're dealing with. Most elementary teachers, there's many who love math, but on average, most don't. They want to be the nurturing teacher. They want to be the language arts teacher. They want to read Charlotte's Web with the kids. They want to do the cool art projects. They want to teach kids how to read, which is amazing. Boy, I'm jealous of teachers who can teach that. Like at the first grade, kindergarten, second grade level, that's a skill I'd love to learn. I'm dealing with kids who I'm trying to instill a love for reading now that they do know how to read. And that's a, a whole other issue. But yeah, you see that in elementary ed. And I don't know what we can do to improve teachers' love for math more. I think we just need to help the field know how much of a superhero you are. 
as a math teacher well, in elementary school, uh, actually. Uh, for the, every teacher is a superhero. Well, every teacher is a superhero. That part is, yeah. <laughs> I, I know lots of teachers, and you're absolutely <laughs> correct about that. Being willing to have the skill that you have in math, there's a stigma, actually, being good in math and probably being in an elementary school. You know, people wonder, well, why aren't you doing something else with that? But the problem is, is where else are kids going to learn that? If you, if you don't have right. excellent people who love math, who are excellent at it, who, who could be doing something else here in elementary school, teaching that. I mean, where else are kids going to get that love of math? Because it's the love of math that takes you there. It isn't that you're good. It's the love of math that takes you somewhere. Yeah, you need to love what you do, absolutely. And the best students love what they do. Let's go ahead and take our left turn that we take here near the end of the interview. And I want to ask you, in the digital age, you know, we have amazing tools now that I didn't have growing up and you probably didn't have in elementary school. You know, we can go out and we can Google something or we can look something on Wikipedia or we can go to YouTube and watch a video about how to do something. I just read the other day there are over half a billion websites now out half there. Half a billion? Yeah, half a billion. So like 600 billion is was, so somewhere in that neighborhood was what I read the other day. 600 million? Billion. Oh, ha there's... That's how many websites are out there. That's how much information there is. 600 billion websites. Yeah, and so, you know, Got I mean, it. there's probably, I mean, I, I, there's right, a the, lot. The physicist in me or the, wants, wants to guess at how much information that is. It's just, I mean, it's a, lot. It's a tremendous amount of information. Yeah. And with that environment now, you I mean, there's just so much power there. I mean, I guess there's also lots of capability of getting distracted there. But with that backdrop, what does it mean to be educated in this environment? In this world with Google and Wikipedia yeah. and YouTube and kids can look up whatever they want, anytime they want. Now that kids have instant access to information, they need to be able to ask the right questions. What do I need to know? What do I need to solve? How am I going to solve that? Now what information do I need and how can I verify that information is accurate and trustworthy in order to solve my problem, create my product, achieve my goal. It involves critical reasoning skills. And in this age of, oh gee, if it's on the internet, isn't it true, Mr. Vandenberg? <laughs> Kids need critical reasoning skills to read through and make sure that that Wikipedia article was actually written by a physicist, not an eighth grader who's guessing, or that because there's citations backing it up, or that the websites they're going to are accurate and trustworthy and how to quickly find information using, I think kids need to be trained in Boolean search logic to quickly get to the information they need out of those half a billion or 600 billion websites. They need to be able to do that quickly, accurately and efficiently and effectively, but they need to be creative in how to use that information. They need to be able to communicate that information well. They need to be able to work with others with that information, not work in isolation. I always use the example of Newton and Leibniz. Leibniz created calculus first, but Newton had better marketing. Okay, So everybody thinks of Newton as the inventor of calculus, unless they really study it. So for, what, a few hundred years, he was the one credited. So I've talked to my students about, they say, oh, well, that was my idea first. I say, yeah, but you didn't tell anybody. You didn't <laughs> communicate it. So I'm praising the student who not only came up with the idea, but let the world know about it and was able to articulate it to people so that it can be used and appreciated. Starting at least in sixth grade, maybe younger, that's an important skill. In the digital age, what does it mean to be educated? Correct use of information, like I've described, but also you know the classic categories of understanding logic, philosophy, history, the great works of literature and art, 
the essential math skills all the way up through calculus, if that's the level of skills they need, whatever the highest level they need is. If you're not educated in those things, you won't be able to determine what information to use or how to solve your problem or how to value what you're working on. I read a few months ago that the college that produces the highest paid on average graduates is not Harvard, Yale, the Ivy League schools, Stanford, MIT. It's not them. It's the Harvey Mudd School of Engineering in the Claremont McKenna schools. The reason is because they also focus on the language arts, hmm. the humanities, because they want engineers with a conscience who value other human beings. And those are the people who can make not only mathematical engineering critical reasoning skills, but also the interpersonal human historical perspective, philosophical perspective reasoning skills as well. It's interesting that you were talking about Harvey Mudd, and we were, and then this is in context of the uh, digital age being educated. And you mentioned this a few minutes ago in your classroom. I made a mistake earlier in our interview, and mm -hmm. you, you said something about estimating, and I did a quick number in my head, and it, it can't be can't be 600 billion. It's got to be 600 million. Yeah, that's well, a, that's an unreasonable number. Both of us did an estimate on responses. that, and you looked kind of funny at me, and yeah. and then and that caused me to to think about the number a little bit. But the ability to to say, oh yeah, you know, I, I made a mistake, and that's, mm -hmm. and realizes it's, it's not fatal. And then yeah. interpersonally, you'd rather I said, oh yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I heard what you said at first, but I let it go. <laughs> uh, another and great interpersonal skill and that's there. That's an being interpersonal learned. skill. And Monopoly teaches that, by the way. You, you, you don't correct people uh, unless it's like life and death. You can save their life and help them out of trouble. But, you know, you, you be polite. And my students learn that from Monopoly. If you're not polite, all three other opponents will gang up on you. <laughs> and if not in this game, they will the next game. Yeah. And how you act, how you treat others now will come back and bite you or reward you later on. Well, that certainly matters. Well, let's wrap this up, uh -huh. come to our last question here. So in the context of the things that we have been talking about here, what is the purpose of an education? I would say there's several purposes. It used to be that education was liberating. That's where the word liberal came from. Liberal studies meant you were liberating your mind from ignorance, that you can now shed light on reality and truth and make decisions based on that and have a much happier, better life. That's one major purpose of education, and it needs to stay there. Otherwise, all we're doing is creating a bunch of robots to do what they're told from their corporate boss. But also, another major purpose of an education is to be able to enjoy producing an income. You want to be able to choose your path in life one that you enjoy, but also choose something that people will pay you for. Being an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever it is you enjoy doing in education helps you be able to do that. And education also in America is very important for creating an educated democracy. Our original presidents like Washington emphasized that without an educated voting public, our country will go pretty bad pretty quick. And I'm all for letting everybody vote who's eligible. I think we need to make sure that those people are as educated as possible so they can make their own choices with an educated mind, with an enlightened mind. Excellent. Well, thank you, Tim, for taking time for the interview. What's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Okay, well, they can email me directly at Tim, T-I-M, S as in Sam, Y as in yes, V as in Victor, so Tim, S-Y-V, at gmail.com, and they can email me questions about education or Monopoly. They can ask about hints on how to beat their family at the next <laughs> holiday Monopoly <laughs> gathering. I do uh, 
traveled the country. I've spoken all across Tennessee, Georgia, California, Northern California, teaching on Monopoly and how to use it in the classroom. I am in, in an Emmy award-winning documentary film called Under the Boardwalk. It's a really fun film, and they follow several players all the way to the final table of the U.S. Championship and beyond and show pretty much everything about Monopoly that you may ever want to know. It's a fun movie, and you'll learn a lot, and you'll see me and my students in that film. And that's called Under the Boardwalk. You can go to monopolydocumentary.com and learn more about it there. It's showing on Hulu Plus and, uh, let's see, iTunes. And you can also order the DVD on Amazon.com. And if you order the limited edition, special edition version of the movie, there's a special feature that has me teaching for 40 minutes how to use Monopoly, I mean, how to win at Monopoly, the strategies and myths and math of Monopoly. And that was actually taught at a middle school to parents on how to learn skills, math and interpersonal skills, through Monopoly. And by the way, here's how to win your next game. Excellent. Well, we will link that stuff mm -hmm. all up in the show notes so our listeners can go to the show notes and, and download those things or go, go look at them. Thank you so much, Tim, for taking some time for the interview. All right. Thank you, Steve. If you've been enjoying the conversations and insights here on the podcast, share it with a friend. Great ideas demand to be shared. You can also help fellow parents and educators by subscribing to the Tabletop Inventing podcast in iTunes, leaving a rating, and writing a review. If you use Android, subscribe, leave us a rating, and write a review in Stitcher. Links to subscribe can be found at www.ttinvent.com podcast. Contact us, and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout-out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students?